welcome to episode 116 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Lizzie Horvitz, founder and CEO of Finch. Finch is tackling social and environmental sustainability from the angle of consumer behavior by creating a universal rating system. Like NerdWallet is for personal finance, Finch aims to incentivize and educate consumers to make better decisions based on the climate and sustainability impact of their purchases. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next-generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. For nearly 20 years, Lizzie has devoted her life to fight against climate change. In 2017, she started a blog to share her research and help people to make more sustainable choices. More and more questions flooded in, and people she didn't know started following along. That's when it hit her. Most of us want to do better, but we aren't sure where to start. Check out choosefinch.com to get started. This isn't about believing in climate change. It's about understanding it. Welcome to The Climate Champions. I'm Lee Krivat. I'm here with Lizzie Horvitz, founder and CEO at Finch. Lizzie, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thank you so much for having me, Lee. Can you talk about your motivating moment? Yes, I can. I was 16 years old and am from Cleveland, Ohio, just outside Shaker Heights. And I had the opportunity to live off the grid in the Bahamas for a semester. And it was there that I really found my passion for climate change because we lived on solar panels, a wind generator. If it didn't rain, we weren't allowed to shower. And this was 2004. So as you probably remember, you know, climate change obviously was well known at the time among the scientific community, but it wasn't discussed nearly to the extent that it is today. So I barely knew about it. And I saw the solution before I fully understood the problem. So I was able to understand how we could all live in a more beautiful way off of our dependence on fossil fuels and in a more localized environment. And it wasn't this sort of doom and gloom that a lot of people have when they're first exposed to climate change. Yeah, I, I'm pretty doomy and gloomy. All right. So <laughs> what are your personal drivers for making things better? Well, it's, it's, I would say it's two different areas. The first is how do we speak for communities and wildlife that can't speak for themselves, right? So that is all the animals that are hugely affected by climate change that don't have the opportunities to have air conditioning or food from the grocery store, et cetera, how do we protect them? And with that comes, you know, small island communities, communities of people who are being seriously affected, who are now climate refugees, who are really not having the impact that the United States is having, but seeing the effects in a huge way. And then the other that really keeps me going is just the opportunity for innovation. I think there are so many ways of working that are antiquated that are ripe for disruption. That's probably why I went into, into entrepreneurship as well. And climate progress is a really exciting opportunity to sort of shake things up. When you meet people that don't believe the facts around climate change or don't understand them, how do you convince them otherwise? My feelings on that have evolved quite a bit over the years. Initially, 
I would spend a lot of time trying to convince them in ways that helped me think about it. But what I've learned, particularly in working in companies where people have differing goals, you have to speak their language in whatever that is. And so if you're talking to a hyper-conservative person, you talk about the economic impacts and how solar energy actually does create more jobs than the Keystone Pipeline. You have to really speak their language to say, do you know how many you know, elephants are extinct or how many, how many tigers are left in the planet? That doesn't really help people who aren't even thinking about it in the first place. But to be quite honest, I don't spend a lot of time talking to those people anymore just because it's exhausting and they are so in the minority. I don't think it's worth our time to be trying to convince people of something that's, that's right in front of you. I'm there too. And I made that same journey where it just doesn't make sense anymore. It's not going to change anybody's mind and it's not worth the time. How do you and how does Finch mitigate climate change? There are obviously so many different ways to mitigate climate change. And if there were one silver bullet, I, don't, I think we would have already found it. So the way that Finch does it is through people's individual consumption. I started Finch because I had so many people coming to me saying, how do I make this impact in my personal life? And I didn't know where to direct them towards. There were so many sort of resources online and you didn't know if it was an academic paper, it was hard for people to understand. If it was a blog, who knew if they were being sponsored by a company that they were promoting, et cetera. And so I really wanted to find a way to explain where the impacts were in certain product categories and what to avoid and what to really lean into. And so what Finch does is rates products based on a variety of attributes ranging from what's the likelihood that this will shed microplastics, what's the human health impact, of course, what's the carbon footprint, and we give it a score between one and 10. And then when you're shopping right now, it only works on Amazon. When you're shopping on Amazon, you are able to look at a product, say a body wash, and we'll say, okay, this gets a six out of 10. Here are three alternatives in case you're interested in making a better purchasing decision. And that really gives people the power to make these differences on an individual level. And hopefully the goal is this will all trickle up to these companies where we'll be able to say, hey, you know, X company, you're losing market share to this better company because you have a worse score let's work together to improve your product. And so really the end end goal is that these companies are learning that consumers really care about this and they're able to make better products. Yeah, I've talked about this before that I go on Google and I look at travel mm -hmm. and it tells you what the most efficient emission from an emission standpoint, what the best way to get from point A to point B is, but often it's the most expensive way too. So you have to have a decision to make the dollars versus the emissions. So it'd be nice when those things align. Yes, absolutely. And I think you're right. In many categories, that's still the case. But we always argue that point a little bit because we've been really surprised at that not being the case in a lot of scenarios. Sometimes we're recommending products that are less expensive so you can save money. Sometimes we're recommending products that just last longer. And so they might be more expensive up front, but you'll actually be able to have them for five years instead of two. And so that's been really fun to sort of look at the details of maybe this isn't always the case that it's more expensive. So that's on Amazon shopping right now. On Amazon shopping right now. And we'll actually be on Microsoft Bing shopping in about a month. And when's Google coming? Google's going to come soon, hopefully. <laughs> I hope so. I really do. I think it's a great product. Very excited. Thank you. What's your prior background? How did you get here? So since this semester, when I was 16, I really have dedicated my entire career towards this. I went to work at an environmental nonprofit called the Natural Resources Defense Council right out of college. 
where I was working in the New York program. So doing a lot of agriculture, tracking energy work. And I realized early on in that role that I think the largest problems will be solved in the private sector. I think you obviously need government and NGO support, but a lot of the milestones, in my opinion, will be happening in the private sector. And so that took me to business school where I got an MBA and a master's in environmental management, really focusing on what can these large companies do to reduce their carbon footprint. And then I worked at Unilever. I was on their supply chain team and then on their sustainability team. And that just was incredibly eye-opening, learning how Axe Body Spray, Dove Soap, Ben & Jerry's, you name it, makes decisions around climate and sustainability overall, social and environmental. And then I switched into the entrepreneurship world and was chief operating officer of a company based in Southeast Asia that helped mitigate single-use plastic in the to-go industry. And then COVID hit, and I realized I'm not going to live in Southeast Asia during COVID. And I had had this newsletter that was sort of Finch-related for the past couple of years and decided this is as good a time as ever to, to start my own thing. What did you learn at Unilever about how they make decisions about this type of thing? One of the most interesting insights that I gained from Unilever is that it's great to have a Paul Pullman at the helm. We felt very lucky that we had a CEO who lived and breathed this every single day. You really can't get a lot done without the C-suite buying in. But what's actually more important is to have those middle managers bought in because they're the ones who are coming into work every single day and making the biggest impact. They're actually doing the bulk of the work, right? And if you have a lot of people who have been there for 30 years and they're just trying to get a paycheck and go home to their kids, which like totally understand that there are plenty of people like that, but that is not going to move the needle. And so you really need buy-in from, from those middle managers who are then telling the younger people who, who really want to do this work, this is how we can make this happen. And so I think that was one of the most interesting insights to understand how within a large company that really values this, you get everybody to make these changes. The other thing that I learned is that sustainability is so decentralized. And so when we're figuring out what brands to partner with and how companies make these decisions, it really depends company by company, right? So at Unilever, I was actually, when I was on the sustainability team, I was based in the communications team. And that doesn't mean that we were just greenwashing and talking about it. That just means that everybody else felt empowered to do a lot of the sustainability work. So the only people who had sustainability titles were actually on the communications team. In some companies, that's supply chain and some that's innovation. And it makes it really, really hard to, as an outsider, figure out how these decisions are made. But the one constant is that it depends on, the, on each individual company. So those are two really helpful insights, I think. I spent a good part of my career on culture change management. And I think every leader, that's what you're really doing. That's the main job. It's easier to come up with a strategy than to get people to follow that strategy. Absolutely. So I want to get your opinion on something. I read a lot about people saying that corporations are killing us and that the people have to do more themselves. And I think there's a debate there because a lot of the efforts are actually being led by corporations. Whereas most people or many people aren't doing a lot, aren't really changing and don't want to change. What's your perspective on that? It's a balance we think about often. And I believe in what I call behavior change light. So there's a lot that individuals can and are willing to do. But 
there's an end point, right? There's really only five to 7% of the population that will stop flying, become vegan, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's actually up to the corporations to make it as easy as possible for consumers not to change their ways. We need to create a shampoo bar that is just as good as a Garnier Fructis or a Pantene Pro-V because people will use it. If there's a product that is just as good or better performing and you know the price is right, people will use it, but people will not use it just because they pat themselves on the back and say, I'm saving plastic. I think most of the onus is up to the corporations to continue to innovate and to make products that are good for the planet so that consumers don't have to make those tough decisions, but consumers also have to demand it. It's not enough just to say, oh, you know, vote every two years or use, you know, metal straws. There's plenty that consumers can do to make an impact. Yeah, it's really a partnership, right? The corporations have to provide the product. Consumers have to buy the product. And of course, making a great product helps. But having the consumers motivated because they understand what's going on with the climate is certainly helpful. Exactly. Yes. And I think also, you know, the, the other pushback that Finch gets sometimes is climate change needs to be solved on such a higher level. It's you know, we need to shift to microgrids and get our dependence off of oil and all of these huge geopolitical big topics, which are far beyond what an average consumer can have an impact on. But I think, as I said earlier, there has to be a mix of all of these solutions to create the world that we want to live in. And we can't just say, oh, it's, it's someone else's job to fix. Can you talk about setbacks that you've had in your career? I would say Unilever was a particularly interesting time I, after graduate school, decided to go into a supply chain role because for a couple of reasons. First, I think to do what I'm doing now, I needed to understand how a company operated outside of the sustainability world. So how these decisions were being made, having nothing to do with our climate goals. But I also knew that to be head of sustainability at Unilever, which seven years ago is what I really wanted to do for my whole life. You, you weren't going to get that job externally, right? You had to be within the company to, to get that. And so that was sort of a foot in the door, but I absolutely hated it. I hated every second of working in supply chain at Unilever. It was not the right role for me. It was extremely monotonous. I was sort of doing the exact same thing. It felt like Groundhog Day every single day. I also wasn't culturally connecting to my colleagues. These were brilliant people who went to Rutgers and Penn State and majored in supply chain and knew so much more about supply chain than I would ever hope to, but it wasn't a cultural fit for me. And so I was pretty miserable every single day and kind of had to have this real, I like to joke and call it like a come to Jesus moment where I'm like, okay, what am I, what am I doing here? Am I going to stick it out? Am I going to leave? And I sort of honestly did a combination of those things. I, I stuck it out until I got a role in sustainability, which is really where I hoped I would be. But I also, you know, I was at Unilever for th almost three years, not even three years. And I got to a point where I wasn't being valued as, a, as an employee. They didn't believe in my capabilities for whatever reason. I had managers who were not encouraging me to take it to the next step. And I think within a company like Unilever, which has, you know, almost 200,000 employees, if you don't have a mentor who's really looking out for you, you can really get lost. Nothing bad about Unilever specifically. I still think they're a phenomenal company, but I was not being protected in a way that would have helped my career a lot. And so I just at some point threw in the towel and said, wow, for the past literally 10 years, I had been dreaming of being a sustainability lead at this company. And it just wasn't at all what I was expecting. And so th I think that was a setback for me because I sort of had to go back to the drawing board and was like, well, if not this, then what? Like, 
do I go into entrepreneurship, which I've, I've literally never taken a startup class in my entire life or worked at a startup? Do I go back to the nonprofit world? Like in many ways, it was a blessing because I was able to sort of brainstorm what my next step was, but it was also incredibly scary to realize that what you had thought your whole career would be was not the case at all. It's a great life lesson that sometimes a job or a life situation isn't a great fit, yes. but that doesn't mean other situations won't be a great fit. You can launch an amazing career from something that doesn't go very well. I know a technical writer who just wasn't getting along with his team. He left. He started his own company. Hundreds of people work at that technical writing firm now. He just had to find the thing that got his juices going. Exactly. It's finding, it's getting your juices going. And I also think there's a really big difference between confidence and arrogance and that I like to talk about. And I think arrogance is when you think that you can do a better job than anybody else. And there's no advice that you can get that you don't already have. Confidence is just believing in yourself and knowing like, I need some help to get where I'm going, but I, I can do it. I feel lucky that I had that confidence to, at some point at Unilever, say to myself, I deserve better. Like I deserve to be working with people who value my opinion and value my work. And I'm not getting that right now. And so I'm going to, I'm going to opt out. And I think a lot of people in my position, unfortunately, probably tend to stay in those positions longer than they should. I just think that's great advice. And I like the comparison of arrogance to confidence. I think it's right on. Thank you. Since I made you talk about your setback, tell us about the biggest successes you've had that you're most proud of. Certainly Finch as a whole has been more successful than I would have ever imagined. Not necessarily the ways that people think about in terms of revenue and sort of traditional success factors, but I'm measuring success by, you know, am I waking up with my team every day and learning something and contributing to our society? And I think for us, that's what success will look like until, until we don't anymore, right? So if we realize that our skill sets have, have expired or we're not learning anything, that's a problem. But I, I just am so proud of the team that I've built that have created something that I would have never been able to do on my own. Specifically, something that sticks out that just was one of the coolest things that's ever happened is that I reached out, you know, we're, we're an extension company. The most successful extension out there is Honey right now. They were bought by PayPal for $4 billion, I believe. And I randomly, this, this goes back to the confidence. I just like, I'll do anything. I reached out to the co-founder of Honey on LinkedIn and I said, hey, we're starting this extension. Would you ever have the time to chat with us on sort of best practices, ways of working, et cetera? And shockingly, he responded. He said, this is, you know, this is an idea that Honey's thought about internally for quite some time. I'd love to hear what your take is. And so we were just expecting to sort of have a dialogue back and forth where I could learn from him. And what ended up happening was after 12 minutes of, of us explaining what Finch was, he said, are you fundraising right now? And we said, yeah. He said, I'll give you 50K on the spot. He just offered to give us funding. And that was A, like the easiest fundraising call I've ever had. It's the easiest like I've ever had. Thousands and thousands. <laughs> and to have, you know, to then have the backer of the most popular extension on the planet backing you is just that was a dream. Like that was something that I would have never, ever imagined. And I think that was very lucky, but I also think you create your luck, right? A lot of people would have said, I'm never going to hear from Ryan Hudson, who has millions of people knocking on his door every single day. So what's the point of even reaching out? And 
we had no mutual connections. We had no, nothing in common at all. And he just happened to check LinkedIn and responded. So that was insane for us. I love LinkedIn for that reason. Yeah, me too. Interview many great people through LinkedIn and set up meetings and made big business deals. So yeah, exactly. Can you talk about what an extension company is real briefly? I think some people might not know. Absolutely. So on your desktop, we use Chrome, but this also can work for Safari or Firefox, whatever browser you're using. You can add what's called a plugin and you download. So if you go to choosefinch.com, you download this plugin. It's a one-time thing, kind of like an app download, but on your desktop. And then the beauty of it is that every single time you use Amazon in the Finch scenario, a little button pops up and says, this product gets an X out of 10, whatever I, I said earlier. And so the beauty of it versus an app is that it's just there. It's on your browser. It's always working. And so whenever you're on Amazon, you don't have to remember, oh, I should check the Finch score of this. It'll just pop up on its own. And we, we know we need a mobile solution. We're working on an app you know, in real time. But the difference that we always like is, I don't know about you, Lee, but I have at least dozens of oh my gosh, probably hundreds of apps on my phone that I've opened once that I've never used and will probably never use. So it's a lot easier to download an app, but then to use it is a lot tougher. We have basically a 40% week over week use rate, which means that of all of our users, 40% of them are using it week over week, which is pretty high. And I think that's because it's tougher to get people to download it in the first place. But once you have it downloaded, it just, you use it automatically. So Amazon isn't going to do this for people that don't download the extension. No, they won't. We have a great relationship with Amazon. We we would love to have some sort of formal partnership with them. But at the moment, it's it's not a formal partnership. We just sort of overlay our extension onto Amazon, which is also a great aspect of it too, that we don't need buy-in from these companies. But it's a goal, right? It's a goal to get Amazon to always have that extension. You know, it's a really interesting question. You'd think automatically, of course, if we could have have Amazon just be directly part of this. But part of our business model is taking the data from the extension, anonymizing it. We'll never sell personal data, but we aggregate it and we not anonymize it. So, you know, we can find out women between the ages of 30 and 40 in Washington, D.C. are three times as likely to buy sustainable deodorant than men in DC or what have you. That's the type of data that we get from the extension that we might not have if we just integrate it simply into Amazon. So it's sort of this, this constant balance we're working on. Is part of the business model getting money from the consumer or from the product company, or is it just on the monetizing the data? It's mostly monetizing the data. And so we, we, we don't take any money from the consumer. We don't take money from brands unless I think in the near term, we may offer to rate products in which brands would pay us. That we, that we don't already have rated in our ecosystem. But otherwise, we don't really take money from brands. It's just the monetizing the data. That's our partnership with Microsoft. We sell our ratings to Microsoft so that they can surface that information. And then when we have enough users of a browser extension, we'll be able to take consumer insights data that we'll sell to brands. Can you say again, how does somebody install this extension? Absolutely. If you just go to choosefinch.com, on the homepage, it will be install the extension and you just click on it and, and follow the rules. You also, to maximize it, you need to, on your browser, there will be a place to pin the extension and there you can ensure that it will always show up. I'm going to do it right after this call and I'm excited Perfect. about it. Super excited. Yeah. And let us know that the beauty of this stage of our company is that we're still small enough. We've been around for only two, not even two and a half years. We just launched our extension in January. So we still get feedback from individual users all the time. And so Lee or any of the listeners, if you have 
suggestions or or want to have an interview on consumer insights, we would love to to chat on an individual basis. It's really fun for us. Can you talk about how you think the world is going to look in the future with regards to climate change? Do you think we're going to solve this problem or do you think we're doomed? Ooh, that's a heavy question. I think we are going to solve it. I don't think I would be in this world if I didn't believe we were going to solve it. And again, I think it's going to be a combination of government, nonprofit, private sector, individuals. I think the best advice I've gotten is from Dr. Ayana Johnson. I don't know if you know her, but she is a marine biologist. She's brilliant. And she's a climate scientist. And she has this Venn diagram that she uses of what brings you joy, what gets you out of bed in the morning, right? That's one block. The second is what are you good at? And the third is what does the world need? And I think if everybody who was interested in climate answered that for themselves and sort of contributed in a way that made most sense for them, we would be on a really good path forward. I think a lot of people feel pressure to do what they think is going to be the biggest monetization opportunity or what's going to solve the problem the most. If I didn't do that exercise, I might be working on, who knows, on a microgrid solution or something that would make my eyes glaze over every single day. So I think if everybody within climate just focused on that, that advice from Ayanna Johnson, that would be, our world would be a much better place. It's very exciting when you can balance all those. Right. I think the other thing that I think about, the other sort of balance is what you want in culture versus impact, right? So at Unilever, I was having a huge impact. If I were deciding that our ice cream should be at a temperature lower than it actually was, that'd be saving a lot of energy, right? But the culture wasn't a fit for me. And so each individual, I think, has to figure out what their balance is between, I don't care about the culture, I work from home and I just code all day, or I really need that culture and I don't care as much about the impact. So those are fun balances that I always think about. So you think we're going to make it? We're going to make it. We're definitely going to make it. Yes. We're also, we're an adaptable species. You know, I think the scary thing that keeps me up at night is knowing that what we're doing right now will be felt in 30 years. So nothing's happening overnight, right? But we are going to figure this out. There are way too many that care, too many people that care too much about this to, to fail. Has the pandemic had an impact on the way you think about the future? I think in the early days of the pandemic, it was really interesting because we saw a world in which life moved on without all this travel and shipment and frankly, emissions. So I'm really excited about the opportunity to live in a world in which you can prove that you don't need to go to a meeting in San Francisco from New York for a day, and you don't need to meet with people in person all the time, et cetera, et cetera. And so from my sort of internal way of running a business, we're fully remote. That's definitely changed my opinion on things. But I think also on the macro level, we've realized that capitalism is still capitalism, but we got to see the beauty of what happens when there isn't smog in Beijing and the Venice canals are completely clear, et cetera. And so I think that was sort of a almost a teaser into, into what can happen. Do you have advice you can share with our listeners about how they can impact climate change? You got to say, choose Finch. Yes. Well, when, of course, you have to download the extension. Check out our website, which also has sort of the top 10 products and best of list that you can purchase. That is, of course, where to start. I think the main thing is to think about the entire life cycle of the product that you're using, right? And so that's everything from when you buy coffee, think about the fact that you're buying a coffee cup that you're going to throw away in 12 minutes. 
that will not be recycled. That's going to go straight into the landfill versus buying a tumbler that you can use seven days a week whenever you get your coffee, right? So it's those small decisions that in the moment, particularly as someone, I don't have kids yet, but I'm very busy. I cannot imagine if you're like juggling three kids, a full-time job, you don't have time to think about that stuff. But if you just take a second to think about what is my individual impact and how can I reduce that? There are so many ways to do it. It takes 21 days to form a habit. It's pretty easy to, to make these small changes if you're just willing to. Do you have any questions for me? Well, I'm curious. I'll ask you the same question. What, what gives you hope about the future? I would assume that you're not doing this if you think we're all going to fail. So what keeps you excited? So day to day, sometimes I'm very doomy and gloomy. Yeah. And other days, I'm really confident that we're going to make it. On the make it scale, there are so many people that I've met that have so many great product ideas and so many people are putting so much effort in. And frankly, so many companies are making an effort to do something. It's kind of exciting that people have coalesced around this mission. I guess what makes me think it's maybe not so good is that I do think we're running out of time. You said we're not going to wake up tomorrow and have things be different. But in the Northwest, Pacific Northwest of the US, people went to sleep and woke up to 115 degrees or something last year. Right. It snowed in April in Portland, where I moved to. So... Things are changing fast, and I guess I don't know if we'll run out of time. And I don't even know what I mean by that, to be honest, because it's clear we're already having people die because of climate change, and that number continues to grow. So the impact is here and growing. I guess for me, the question is, how bad is it going to get before we see improvement? And I think it's going to be a while because that's how humans are. Yep. That's my sad statement. I, I totally understand that. And on that somber note, <laughs> I'm going to wrap this up with a wrap. Before you understood climate issues, you saw that we could live green. You got excited about what you saw when you were only 16. When it didn't rain, you couldn't take a shower. And I'm sure there were other dramas. You learned about climate change firsthand when you were in the Bahamas. One of the reasons climate solutions are something that you seek is because of the animals and communities that can't represent themselves. For them, you want to speak. When people didn't understand climate issues, you would fill in the holes. You you try to speak their language, understand their goals. When it comes to climate impact, you wanted to do a baiting. So Finch teamed with Amazon to provide a climate product rating. You worked in corporate America to get experience, a true climate change believer. You learned how they made decisions, at least at Unilever. You compared people that know it all, that show their arrogance versus people that know they can still learn but do it with confidence. It wasn't easy. It wasn't a cinch but you're doing great with your startup it's called finch i want to make sure i don't forget to mention go to choose finch now and download the extension corporations and people must partner when you have a chance take it your prediction is that we are certainly going to make it each day look for an opportunity be sure that you nab it it only takes 21 days you can form a new habit you gave us so much great information it made me kind of dizzy. Thank you and good luck. I'm rooting for you, Lizzie. Wow, mic drop. That was so cool, Lee. Do you do that for every single one? I do. I've heard them before, but that was amazing. Okay, I tried it and it's both fun and educational. 
I'm running out of my Colgate toothpaste, which I buy at Costco in bulk, so I installed the extension and searched for my whitening Colgate. First, there are a ton of Colgate toothpastes to choose from. Mine wasn't rated, but the ones that were scored at best around seven. On Amazon and on the Choose Finch website, I found that Tom's had a product rating of about nine. And luckily for my frugal self, Costco now carries Tom's. It is time for a change. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at crevatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. Lizzie believes, and I agree wholeheartedly, that we all have a role to play. Understanding the science of sustainability gives control back to people as citizens, not just consumers. Join us. Bravely try something new. Stay curious and take action, because we have a planet to save. This isn't about just believing. It's about understanding and helping to mitigate climate change. Mm -hmm.